Thursday, everyone. Welcome to the Colby Daniels Podcast, presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products. Visit the website, abotanicalcompany.com, or give them a call, 405-458-9699. Educate yourself on what they have available and how it can benefit you daily. I'm a customer. I, I absolutely love these guys and what they do for the community around them, and they are absolutely dedicated to helping you live a better life. And, and so I'm really excited that we have a show discount right now. If you order online, abotanicalcompany.com, enter the discount code Colby Show, C-O-L-B-Y-S-H-O-W, Colby Show, uh, you get 15% off your online order. So again, it's it's easy to navigate the website, abotanicalcompany.com, order online, use Colby Show for 15% off, easy and safe pickup. So um, I, I'm really excited that we're able to do this and save you guys some money this holiday season. Uh, also want to let you know the holiday drive going on right now at Artisan Botanicals. So uh, if you are able or uh, are looking for somewhere to maybe help people out this holiday season, they are accepting toys, coats, blankets, uh, non-perishable foods, all that good stuff. Uh, you can del- deliver that to Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. And uh, again, that would be a huge help as well. So thank you to everybody that's already participated. And uh, again, if you want to get 15% off on on your online order, abotanicalcompany.com, use the code Colby Show when you check out online. All right, it is a big week. Obviously, National Signing Day yesterday. Now the complete focus of college football shifts to college football championship Saturday. And I'm just excited about the entire slate of games. Uh, Oklahoma, Iowa State, 11 a.m. kickoff. We've got, uh, I think, Ohio State Northwestern is also a morning kickoff. That's a game that I expect Ohio State to dominate. But um, I expect Oklahoma, Iowa State is going to be competitive. The afternoon slate, obviously, Clemson-Notre Dame is the the premier matchup of the entire weekend, in my mind. Uh, and, and that, you know, as far as the college football playoff, situation that that plays a big role in how that plays out but I think that's going to be another competitive game the evening game Alabama Florida I I, I like the Crimson Tide big in that matchup Uh, so if you're looking for competitive football Saturday night maybe you find that with the Tulsa Cincinnati game but I'm excited about the college football slate on Saturday it's going to be a ton of fun and obviously Sunday we get these uh, these college football playoff rankings and and uh We'll kind of put to rest all of these what-if scenarios that we've been going over the last few weeks, but it's what makes college football so maddening but so much fun at the same time. So uh, if you are unaware, um, just a quick reminder, uh, 9 o'clock, yeah, 9 o'clock, two hours before Oklahoma's kickoff on Saturday, Mike Steely and I have pregame coverage. I will tweet that link at Colby underscore Daniels. So, uh Again, 9 o'clock pregame start for Mike Steely and I Saturday morning, so check that out. And then, obviously, Oklahoma-Iowa State at 11 a.m., so that should be a ton of fun. My guest today is co-host of the Pat Jones Show on the Sports Animal Tulsa. He is Eric G. on the Colby Daniels Podcast. Eric G., what's going on on this Thursday morning? We are two days away from the Big 12 Championship. I'm, I'm pretty excited. I can't believe basketball is getting underway. We've got a lot going on. Yeah, we do. Uh, last night, w- went to the first Thunder preseason game last night. Just really went, didn't really even care how the team did last night. Just wanted to go for the experience to see what it was like with no fans in the stands and, and what it was like having to go through a different entrance and the protocol and see how they had things set up. And it's strange. It's really weird because the arena is empty, and you don't realize how dark the peak is 
when there isn't 18,000 people filling that bowl and the majority of them are wearing that thunder blue, which is a, which is a brighter blue color. And the other thing you don't realize is just like when you're watching a, a, an NBA game on TV now, like I, I'm watching the Knicks and, and the Cavaliers and prior to you coming on, I had the sound turned up. I wanted to hear Mike Green, wanted to hear Clyde Frazier, but that piped in crowd noise sounds really good coming over the air. I mean, it's no different than a normal broadcast in the arena. That sound is, is not very loud at all. So even when you're, where you're sitting where I sit, which is up in what they call Cloud City, right above the highest section the fans can sit, you can hear the squeak of the shoes. You can hear guys talking to each other. You can hear coaches bark out plays. There wow. is nothing to drown any of that out. And what's going to be fun is as the season goes on, as as there starts to be real competition and the Thunder aren't, aren't feeling themselves out, trying to trying to, to figure out where all the where, where everybody's going to play and what the rotations are, I think we're going to hear some really interesting trash talk between players, which is something I've I've desperately wanted to hear, but never been close enough to hear. Never never been never got to sit in the Royce Young Eric Horn seat. Yeah, to hear guys yeah. talk to each other. So that that will be the best part of covering the Thunder this year is just finally getting some insight into basketball that, that I haven't gotten before and hopefully being able to bring that to people that listen to the show and follow me on Twitter, the, the 300 that do or so. <laughs> um, <laughs> do you get I think to- I'm exaggerating that number, to be honest. Uh, be real honest about that. <laughs> That's hilarious. Do you get to uh, choose, like, can you, is it open seating or do you still, are you kind of like still restricted to the media areas, if you will, in the peak? You, you are totally restricted. Um, the way that they have the credentials set up this year, everything is color-coded. There's a red section, there's a green section, there's a yellow section. So everybody in the media is in something called the yellow section. So when you go in, you can only be in the areas that are designated as the yellow section. Even when I ride the the elevator up to my section, I cannot go in the elevator with anyone that doesn't have that same credential. So if you oh, had wow. a green section credential and I had a yellow section credential, we could not ride up together. Even though we might be going to the same floor and I might be going right, you might be going left. We couldn't ride up together. Uh, the other thing is, when you walk in, if you want to get media dinner, which, I mean, let's face it, media people are cheap. We love nothing more than to get fed for free. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, a box, it, it's a box lunch. It's, it's a sandwich, but there's no media work area. So you have to go, you walk through the security protocol, get your temperature taken, Sign your waiver to let everyone know that you're you're fine and dandy and you won't sue anyone. You get all che- you get checked out, but you have to immediately go to your seat. And from then, you can pretty much go to the bathroom. But they don't necessarily want you mixing and mingling and 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 everybody hanging out together. They're doing everything they can to possibly keep people safe. So it, it really is a strange atmosphere because you don't have that normal media camaraderie that you would do that you would have in a normal season and and people that you would normally see from out of talent if you've gotten the opportunity to know 
writers or broadcasters from, from some of the other markets, you won't see them at all this year. Unless you make arrangements to see them prior to the game. And I would imagine that the NBA would prefer you not do that. And I don't think, I don't think many, many newspapers, and I know for a fact, no broadcasting, no broadcasting crews will be traveling with teams this year because everything can be done remotely, which honestly, I hope the people who, who are, who are covering in papers understand that because their bosses are going to see this and their bosses are going to talk to the leagues and travel. I believe travel will eventually go away for sports writers. If you can get access via links and virtually, I think companies have been waiting so long to do that, to cut down on that, that now that's gone. And I wouldn't be surprised if in, you know, maybe not the NBA, but like in more your minor league sports, like baseball, if there's a way to get a feed without, you know, paying an extra plane ticket for a broadcaster, if we don't see that more often as well. You know, I think throughout this pandemic, we've talked a lot, of, and, and this this applies to things outside of sports as well, but um, we collectively have talked about, you know, how the world is going to change following this thing and if we'll ever return to the world that, that we were living in, you know, back in, in February and March. And I think to, to take that into the sporting world, this is one area where I don't think it'll ever be the same. I, I think you're exactly right. I, I think that the days of, you know, traveling, broadcasting and traveling, you know, following teams and stuff like that, I think those days are gone. I, I just, when you figure out ways to do it throughout this time period, to think that anybody is going to go back to spending the amount of money that it costs to, to put people on the road and everything, like it, it just doesn't make any sense knowing that you can do it this way and get away with it. No, it doesn't. And I think back to when, when you and I worked together, you and I both, we both like to travel. We love going on those roads. Absolutely. And there was something about, about being there. I think from a fan's perspective that if they couldn't be there, you were the boots on the ground. You, you had the inside information and, could really sit really set the scene for people that were that were home. And I think now you've gotten to the point where through television, through just a few guys being on the beat, they don't necessarily need you, the radio guy, to do it. They don't need any one of the local TV guys to do it. They're pretty much well covered. And I think we've already proven that, you know, ESPN has proven pretty successfully. They don't even need guys at the stadium in order to call play-by-play right? and add color. You can do, you can do all your ESPNs lucky enough where you've got guys that can do all, all your homework prior to the broadcast. Most of them are going to be granted access to the coaches and players. As far as the, the key questions to ask to, to fill in the gaps during the broadcast. And then that's really all you need. You don't need to send you don't need to be spending the money to send them out there. You can just have them do it back in Bristol, and I think that's gonna. I think that's gonna be a thing. I don't think we'll see big broadcast traveling crews again if you don't need it. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to to do that on, on a Thursday night if you've got Mike Golick Jr. If you've got Mike Golick Jr., let's say he's calling a game, New Mexico versus Fresno State. Well, he's got a radio show to do that next day. Well, I can just keep him in Bristol, Connecticut, so he can do his radio show the next day. He can get sleep. He doesn't have to 
I don't have to go out of my way to find a studio for him to do it there or set up something in a hotel. Or he doesn't have to be away from his family. So it's essentially it works out for everyone. Yeah. I, I, they get to do what they love. The company doesn't have to spend money and the company's going to get better use of air talent because they're not exhausted. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I, I think that uh, forever the sports world will be changed in that regard. And, you know, to your point about being on site, like one of the things I always like took pride in was is the fact that like if I'm at a at an event, like I can tell you everything that's happening that you're also getting on ESPN. But I always like I, I like to tell you like what my perception is of what's happening. And it goes just beyond like, you know, again, like the. OU one 24 to 13, like a lot of these media day things, you can, you can report quotes and you can report what people say. But to me, having somebody on site is all about them. Like telling you like, so CD lamb said that, you know, he thinks it's going to be a good matchup against the, the Alabama defensive backs. But what you like, I think being there in person, what you're able to add is, you know, when he said that, he looked really confident, and there was a very confident vibe about him, and I feel like he he really not only likes this matchup for himself, but thinks he's going to dominate, or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I, I always tried to look at it from that perspective as far as being there in person, because that's something you can't really get if you're not standing in front of the person looking at them versus, like, you know, doing the whole virtual look at them through a screen type thing, so... That, to me, is the one element that we will lose out on if we don't have people in person, boots on the ground type thing. Well, from a football standpoint, where it always seemed like you got the most was when you were able to have access to the field. Right, uh, just a, an hour or so before the game, when guy when teams are going through their warm-up, it's, it's, um, it's, I'll just pull a name out of my head, is DeMarco Murray limping. Is right. you know Ramondre, Steve, you know Ramondre Stevenson. You know how did he look last week? He was hurt. You know how is he running? Does the right knee look okay? Um, how, who was taking most? Who was taking most of the snaps? Uh, you know, if, if there was a quarterback controversy, who was taking most of the snaps as they were going through warmups? If the coach is not announced, who was going to be the starting quarterback? That stuff was a that stuff was of real value. Um in their infinite wisdom limited who could go down on the field prior to the game. Um, and, and, and I had to say, you know, when I sit in the press box, you know, they get TVs, you get your computers set up, you start getting distracted. And unless you've got a pair of binoculars, you're not, you may, maybe you're not paying as close attention as you need to. Yeah. Uh, that may say more about me as a reporter than necessarily it does the atmosphere, but that's, you know, when, when that's already being taken away by universities, and I'll, I'll say universities more than, than professional ranks, the universities are limiting, they're already limiting access. They're already really only favoring the few as opposed to the many. So you're limited in, in what you can get anyway. Everybody, it feels like everybody's got the, the same access information so I'm not sure anyone really stands out and it'll be interesting to see what what companies decide to do with that I mean because I, I would think covering OU I mean if you were gonna covering OU how many full insiders do you believe that there really are covering OU now guys that you would put that insider stamp on because I can think of 
one, maybe two <laughs> that I would call that I would call like true insiders. Like I felt like yeah. when they're talking, I really feel like it's coming from the, from the horse's mouth. Like there's something there beyond what happened Tuesday and Wednesday at, at media. Their connection is significantly deeper than just the media availability. Yeah. that Everyone's granted. Yeah. No, I get that. Yeah. It, it's so, I mean, it's I, a great I, point. I mean, I can only think of. I mean, to me, there's really one guy, and I and I won't say his name, but I think there there, there is one guy, maybe two, and I also think that depending on where that information is coming from, I've become less trusting of it. Uh, to yeah. certain res- to in certain respects, like there's there's one guy I trust at OSU, or and I trust the people that work with that one guy. There is. One guy I, I, I trusted OU, one guy I sort of kind of trust that, that that there's something a little bit deeper, but but everything else seems to be from the horse's mouth. And if they work from the network, they're going to limit them. They're, they're, they're going to be limited in what they say to you. They know more than what they let on, but you're never right. going to know that unless you unless you know them, unless they are willing to talk to you right. about it as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's super interesting, man. It's, uh, again, I, I, I don't think it's ever going to go back to exactly the way it was before. Uh, and I, I think, you know, the whole, like, virtual player availability type thing is is here to stay. And, and look, I mean, to be honest with you, I think it's probably easier for the teams as well to just, you know, put a guy yeah. in front of a screen, you know, set a time, like, 10 minutes. All right, we got to move you out because we got to get another player in here. And, like... I think it's just, it's more efficient, I think, overall for everyone. I don't think you get, like like we were talking about, I don't think that you get the same quality of content because you're you're taking out the personal element of it. But, you know, I, I don't know how many people appreciate that anyway, so. Well, I, I think, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but just looking at ESPN and the way that SportsCenter is done now, and kind of the shows that the shows that they have developed in the morning, first take, um, get up, stuff like that. It feels like people want personality and people want opinion more than they necessarily want inside information. Yeah, they want it. I mean, they want to know how their team is affected when somebody gets hurt or a new coach comes in or a defensive coordinator gets fired and a new one is is hired and you know how's that going to affect where somebody lines up or who plays but it seems like opinion and that kind of analysis is what they want than necessarily more the inside information am i am i wrong about that am i am i missing on that i think it's a mixed bag uh and and look i would say this i think it depends on i people do want that but i think they want that from personalities. They don't necessarily want that from everyone that's covering sports, right? Like, I, I don't think people want that sort of report from a beat writer, if that makes sense. No, that makes sense. Makes total sense. That so, that, that makes sense. Yeah. I well, well, and I think there's, I think there's one guy who covers OU that they want it all from. And they get it all from him because he not only does website stuff, but he does radio as well. And, and they kind of, I mean, he kind of gets to be it all if he wants to be. Right. And that's a, 
for for him, that is a great position to be in. I mean, I'll, I'll not lie. I'm kind of envious of that. Um, <laughs> I, I'm envious of that because very few of us in this business get to do everything we want because there become certain expectations laid on us by either our bosses or our listeners or our viewers. And you've got to pay that off. You have to be that thing. Whatever they have come to expect from you, you've got to give it to them and, and continue to super serve that. And if you feel like going in a different direction, that not only doesn't serve them, but it also hurts you in the long run. And I can, and, and he um, is, is kind of the only guy in this market that I can think of that really has that kind of freedom. And that's something to be envied because we just don't get that. I mean, it's like he is, he's not in the box. And a lot of that is through his own creating. So you have to give him credit for that. And the fact that his subscribers and listeners have have gone along with him on that is a true credit to him. Um, so that's, I mean, that's pretty awesome. Uh, there's only one of those guys. And that's the other thing you got to remember when you get into this business. There is one. And if you are starting out as a young kid from college and you're doing stuff through social media and you're writing and you've built your reputation on completely feeding information, if you want to go down that personality road, it could really backfire on you unless you get put in that position to be that guy. Somebody feels that you're going to be that guy. So just remember where your bread is buttered. It's not always fun. It's not always fun. It gets frustrating from time to time, but in the end, you'll be happier because you're making people happy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, let's let's talk football. Uh, we have a rematch, and I've done uh, some radio hits in Iowa this week, and I think the one thing that really stands out oh, to wow. me is, uh, yeah, and, and by the way, it's funny because I've been asked every every interview I've done this week about this game. I've been asked about Buki and like that matchup, and my answer is always the same. I'm like, if I'm Iowa State, I would throw the ball at him every single time he's on the field. Like, and and like every time I say that, like I get this, thank you. Why aren't they doing that? Like it's it's so funny that even the opponents recognize that there is a significant mismatch that needs to be taken advantage of from the Iowa State tight ends. Um, but anyway, all that aside, like. I think my biggest takeaway going into this game is, you know, these are two completely different teams than they were in week three or game three of the season when when they matched up the first time. I mean, obviously, Oklahoma is significantly different, a completely different team. When you look at the players that have come back, you look at the maturity of the, the quarterback, which is the most important position on the field and then Iowa State obviously has has uh, come a long way from that point as well you know just two weeks before they beat Oklahoma they lost to Louisiana for crying out loud so um, I'm really excited about this matchup I'm really excited about the way these teams match up against each other and I also think that they are completely different football teams than they were when they matched up earlier this year yeah they are I, I look at OU and defensively I mean Isaiah Thomas is really come alive and you've got Ronnie Perkins um, who is just an, an, an absolute menace to deal with and I kind of feel sorry for the Iowa State offense I feel sorry for the Iowa State offensive staff this week because the first time you played OU you didn't have to deal with the guy you know you didn't have to worry about who was blocking him where he was going to line up and 
you know, whether or not there was anyone that could really contain him and, and he was going to completely disrupt the flow of your offense. So now you're planning for that. And, and Perkins to me kind of falls into this, um, falls into this category of, I'm not, I'm not really sure you can do anything other than maybe slow him down for a couple of plays. Um, and that's, that's, Man, that sucks for the offensive staff, but it's great for OU, and that changes. The other thing I think you've seen, obviously, Ramondre Stevenson, but you're seeing a Spencer Rattler who's playing with a lot more confidence. You're seeing a, an offense that's that's moving the ball a lot better earlier in the year uh, than they were earlier in the year. And for as good as Iowa State is, they've just kind of they've kind of just chugged along. They've just continued to be better at what they do. I don't know, though, and even though you're better at what you do, that's going to be enough to beat OU on Saturday. I think OU's at, I, OU is at another level. They're playing to the level that we've come to expect OU to play over these last few years, and I think Iowa State will score, I, but honestly, Colby, I don't think this game is going to be that close. Really? Yeah, I think... I think this is going to be – I don't think it'll be a blowout. Like, I don't think OU's going to win by something ridiculous like 35-7 to 7 or, you know, they're going to put up 49 points or something. But I could see a 28-14 to 14 game here. I could see, see a 10-14 point difference in this game. Yeah, I really could. I think OU is that good now compared to when they were playing Iowa State. And I think part of it is – the other thing I don't like about Iowa State in this game is, is the moment going to be too big for them? And that's one thing I'm interested in. You know, when you talk to the folks at Iowa, Iowa State doesn't get here very often. You know, they, they don't play for conference championships. It's not in their DNA. Yeah, they haven't won a so, conference title in over 100 years. Yeah, so do these kids get a little freaked out by that? And, and that's and and, know, and this is where I think the logo on the helmet helps OU because those kids expect to be there. At Iowa State, you hope to be there. You're there, and the bottom line is, win or lose, it's already a great season for you. For OU, it hasn't been a great season. It's not going to be a great season, but the only way you can salvage it is to win this game and, and win, it in a, win it in a fashion where everybody feels – win it in a fashion – where you dominate just enough where everybody feels that coming back next year, you're going to be the program that, that, that we expect you to be. The only, the, the reason I would disagree about them in, in this game being what you're describing as far as, as maybe the bright lights preventing them from maximizing what they're able to accomplish. A, Matt Campbell, I think, just has this like mentality that is us against the world, and I think that that definitely trickles down to the football team. Um, I, Matt Campbell, I think, welcomes any and all opponents, and that's just the way he carries himself, and I think he wants to be in these settings, and I think, again, football teams generally reflect you know, what their, their leadership looks like. B, They've already beat Oklahoma once this year. So, I again, I know it's a bigger stage, obviously, but the opponent is somebody that they already have a W against. But the other thing is, 
the, the final thing, this senior class for Iowa State is the winningest class in Iowa State history. This senior class has beat Oklahoma two times in the last four. And if you remember last year, they, they had that, that play at the end that could have won them the game, and they, they fell short in Norman. But, I mean, they're 500 against the Sooners, potentially could have won three of four against the Sooners. So, I don't, I, I don't know. I, I just don't think that Iowa State goes into this game fearing Oklahoma the way that maybe some opponents would or feeling like there's as big a gap with Oklahoma's talent level and their talent level as some opponents would simply because this is a veteran team that's played a bunch of football and they've had a lot of success against Oklahoma at the same time. Wow, Colby, you just said that they're not Oklahoma State. That is so mean of you. <laughs> so mean of you to say that. Uh, can't believe you. What, maybe you, you just hit everybody that, that bleeds over in your black. You just cat you just them at the knees there. No. I think for Iowa State to maintain that confidence, it's going to be very important to, one, not only score first, but two, defensively, you've got to get OU off the field. You've got to make sure that Within those in that first quarter and a half, you you kept them to no more than seven points. Um, if if Iowa State comes out and scores and OU answers, and it looks like it's going to get into a shootout, which I don't again, I don't think it will. I think that that all favors OU. Lincoln Riley's been in those types of games; he's going to be confident. I, I think you know you mentioned Matt Campbell, but Lincoln Riley. I mean, all the guy's done that he's been at OU, he's just won the conference championship. I mean, he's, eventually he's going to run out of fingers to put those conference championship rings on. So, for as much confidence as, as I would say he's going to have in their coach, OU's going to feel like, hey, we got a guy that's been here. So, no matter what trouble we get into in this game, he is going to help bail us out. He is going to have something in the repertoire that's going to help us eventually win this game. Now, a lot of that is just, that's just mental. More than it necessarily is Lincoln Riley being able to dial up some, you know, half-assed, you know, receiver pass. By the way, those plays drive me nuts. The receivers are not quarterback. (laughs) That's just me on my soapbox. Um, But they're they're going to feel that. They're going to feel like this guy has us. We're going to be good in this game. The other thing for Iowa State, if, o, if OU comes out and scores first and is able to get them off the field for their first couple of possessions and is able to go up anywhere 10 to 14 early on, early in this game, I can see it snowballing. Um, it, it just, they're good, but I, I just, in these games, it's so hard to pick against OU. It's just, these are the games they win. And until they don't win these games, I'm gonna have a I'm gonna have a hard time thinking that that anyone is ever gonna beat them in the Big Twelve Championship until this conference, you know, markedly improves and and you can prove that you beat them. Maybe this is the year, but I don't see it. I really don't. I think OU is just right now they're they're rolling along. They're they're playing at a, at a better level than than what the, than what this conference is. Is that level good enough to help them beat any of the top four teams in the country? That I have my doubts about. But right now, I do, I do think they're better than Iowa State. And 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 what's interesting is we were breaking down we were breaking down position by position Iowa State versus OU on our show, and it got the quarterback. Which one would you take? 
And at first I thought, well, you know what? I'll take Brock Purdy just because he's got experience. And then I remember, well, he's never played in this game. I mean, yeah, he's got more experience than Spencer Rattler, but he's never played in this game. And Spencer Rattler, I mean, your whole life has been leading up to this moment. Well, you know, now it's time. Now it's time for you to show that you are the, you are the heir to the throne. And going into this game, if you're asking me if there's more pressure on OU or Iowa State, there's infinitely more pressure on OU. There's infinitely more pressure on Spencer Rattler than there is Brock Purdy. But that's why you go to OU for these moments, for this type of pressure. And I just think for Iowa State, it's going to be too easy in this game if they get down and it's late for them and everyone around them to go, okay, well, you know, hey, it was, it was a good year anyway. This is this is further than Iowa State normally gets. So, you know, we can, we can live with this. Yeah. I, by the way, I'm not picking Iowa State to win the game. I'm I'm picking OU. I, I just think yeah. that I, I just I just don't think, think that Iowa it's uh, tough? no. I mean, I, I just don't think Iowa State's going to lay down, and I don't think that they are afraid of the Sooners. I mean, that was my only point. I think this is a competitive game. I think Iowa State, you know, is able to to make Oklahoma work for this win. Is my only thing. I I just don't think that. Uh, that Matt Campbell's team is, you know, the, the way that they play, I mean, they play a, you know, blue collar, hard nose, you know, gritty, tough brand of football. So, you know, I think when you have a team like that, rarely do you see teams like that get into these, these moments and, and just completely crumble. Cause generally you have to be mentally tough to be that sort of football team anyway. So, and look, I, I would say this Oklahoma in that first game against Iowa state was leading 17 to six at one point. Uh, so, I mean, they were they were able to get Iowa State, I mean, theoretically, out of what the Cyclones wanted to do, and Iowa State still climbed back into the game. Um, what you're saying is true as far as getting up on Iowa State. What they want to do is they want to run the football. That offensive line, you know, I, I remember talking to uh, an Iowa State beat writer before the first matchup, and he was talking about the, the offensive line and just how... Um, how many question marks I guess they had about that group. And now you fast forward to this point and they're up for the Joe Moore award. Now, I don't think that they are better than the the group they're going to face on Saturday. And to me, that's the difference in the game is Oklahoma's front four defensively, but that's a group that's gotten better at all season long. They want to run the football with Brees Hall. And I think ideally they don't fall behind where you have to stop running Brees Hall and throwing the football. So yeah, I think what you're saying stylistically makes sense that if OU's able to get a lead, then you take Iowa State out of the game plan of establishing the run, keeping Oklahoma off off the football field, keeping Spencer Rattler off the football field, and just slowly wearing out that defense. But um, yeah, I just I, I think this is going to be a good game. I think there are certainly matchups in this game that Iowa State can take advantage of, just like I think there are matchups that Oklahoma can take advantage of. But like if I had to pick one area of this game where I feel like the game is going to be decided, I think it's Oklahoma's front four against the Iowa state offensive line. And I lean toward Ronnie Perkins, Perion Winfrey, Nick Benito, and, and Isaiah Thomas being the difference. I would agree with you on that. What, what I'm interested to see is if you're Iowa state and you're having problems running the ball, the one thing that you've kind of got the ace in your hole is, is the tight end. Uh, especially Kolar. Right. And I don't know that OU has got anybody that matches up well with him at all. I mean, I don't think anybody in the Big 12 really matches up with him all that well. In fact, you can look at the game that he played against Oklahoma State, which is the only Big 12 game they lost, and Kolar just dropped the pass that he should have had. 
I don't know that, that Oklahoma State necessarily kept them silent as much as as those tight ends did just not have the, the big days that they were accustomed to having uh, when they played OSU. So, yeah, I know you want to come out and establish the run, but I got to think that, that OU's expecting that. I think I'd come out and try to hit those tight ends right off the bat in this game and let those guys get going downhill hill and just abuse the linebackers and safeties. And if they can get to, to the third level, it's going to be it's going to be so hard for OU to stop them. Even if, if you can hit Kolar, if you can just let him go to the middle of the field, sit down, and then once he catches it, turn upfield, he'll win the battle with just about any linebacker, safety, cornerback that 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 even remotely tries to tackle him. And I think you can wear those guys down enough where if you come out throwing, that that opens up the run for Brees Hall, and that can get OU back on their heels because if they the only way I think you can beat OU is to make sure that you don't get one dimensional. Um, and, and if, you know, if Purdy's getting the ball out of his hands quick, if he's got protection and, and he's not having to hold on to the ball a long time, he, or even if he's got pressure, if he's able to get the ball out of his hands quick and hit tight end, you can have success against OU. They should be able to move the ball on, on that defense. How concerned are you with? I don't know if I can call them struggles, but it, it certainly wasn't as as good as you would have liked against Baylor on Saturday offensively. Are you concerned with Oklahoma's offense at all? Um, a little. I, I, I'd be lying to you if, if I didn't say I wasn't concerned. I mean, one, Austin Stogner's status has me a little bit worried because the receiving core, while it's good, it's not great. Um, and I, I think, unfortunately, for Spencer Rattler, I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Colby, as much as I've seen OU this year, Spencer Rattler doesn't seem to have a security blanket um, the way that, that, that Kyler Murray did or the way that Baker Mayfield did. You know, with, with Hollywood Brown, there was a security blanket. Um, last year, you know, Ky- or Jalen Hurts had, had a security blanket as, as well last year, but who is that? Who's the receiver? Who 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 is the receiver that you're gonna that, that you can consistently rely on in this offense to make plays if you if you need them to make plays? The other thing is you've only really got one running back, and I'd feel a whole lot better if there was somebody other than Ramondre Stevenson that you could rely on to hand the ball off that can get some tough yardage for you. But I don't think that guy exists. The offensive line, oh man, the offensive line has gotten so much better since the beginning of the year. But it just, this is the most limited I can ever remember OU's offense talent wise being since Lincoln Riley's got there as an offensive coordinator. And it really, it it all kind of relies on Spencer Rattler's shoulders to, to make the guys better around him, which I think he can do. But I think there's definitely some concern there. Yeah. Well, and, and look, I mean, for as good as Spencer Rattler is, I mean, we've, we've seen his receivers let him down a, a lot this year, right? I mean, it's it's uh, it's yeah. a talented group. Like, nobody's arguing that they're not talented, but they've been inconsistent, I think, is is a fair way to say it. Uh, how many touchdown drops have we talked about Dallas. this year? Does, does, does C.D. Lamb have 
any eligibility <laughs> left, they're going to be down in Dallas. Yeah. Look, I, I've I mean, argued you, you that Stogner mean, should have been a focal point, not only the safety blanket, but a focal point of this offense. And he, he really totally. wasn't that when he was on the field. We don't, we don't even know his availability for this game. So if you take him out of play... Like your, I think the weapon is Marvin Mims, but again, he's a big play guy. I don't know that that he's even that guy that you're just going to be like, "Hey, we're giving him the ball over and over and over." Um, maybe he is. I mean, he's still a young guy. Uh, I I think I think the the you know world of what his ability is and what he's going to be and wh- even what he is today. Um, but even even with Marvin Mims, I mean, it's not like every week he's going out there and just you know eight, nine catches for 140 yards. And, you know, there, there's just got to be some level of consistency as far as playmaking ability for the pass catchers at Oklahoma. And right now there's just, there's, there's not that. There's not that one dependable guy that you can absolutely guarantee is going to show up on Saturday and give you a big time performance. No, and, and if Stogner, let's just say Stogner's limited, right? Um, which there have been questions about whether or not he's going to play this game. He hadn't played since November. Let's say you bring him in strictly for red zone situations. I think he's athletic enough and big enough to be effective in those. If if you have him just simply for red zone situations, he's big enough and athletic enough to still be effective, even if everybody knows that it's coming. So if you can get this guy out on the field, he will tremendously help Spencer Rattler and that offense. You've got you've got to do everything you can to get him ready. I mean, this is one time where if you're Lincoln Riley, you almost have to ask him. It's like, can you go? Can you can you just give us a few plays this game? Can you can you just do it? And if he says yes, that's how you use him. You don't have to run him out there on every single play. However, I'm still a big fan of the decoy. And if you run him out there and have him as a decoy, he's somebody that that, that that defense has to account for. And maybe that opens it up for for some of those other receivers. And maybe you see guys make, make some plays that they haven't made this year just because Iowa State has to worry about that, at least in the first half. Now, eventually, they'll be smart enough to catch on to it and realize that's all he is. And maybe they won't pay attention to him. But even when they do that, maybe you can hit him for – on five yards when you need him, you know, five, five, six yards when you need it just to get a first down. And then maybe he's able to get out of bounds and keep that injury from getting worse. But I think he's got to go. If he can go, he's got to go. I agree, And I agree with you. I don't know why he wasn't a focal point this year other than maybe that's not so much Lincoln Riley. It's maybe just as that Spencer Rattler just right. still trying to fill things out. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's, you know, it, there, there are moving parts there as far as, as why that may not have, have happened. I think the run game, honestly, is is the bigger issue for me, mostly because the first time around they didn't run the football very well against Iowa State. Obviously, not just from a production standpoint, but, like, making Iowa State actually fear what you present to them in the run game, I, I think it makes all the difference in the world as far as, making it easier for Spencer Rattler to throw the ball, making giving those receivers better opportunities. And look, to be honest, for as great as Lincoln Riley is as a play caller, 
you know, he gets a lot of criticism when they're not running the football well for the plays that he's calling because, you know, everybody's asking, where's the creativity? Where's where's this, you know, this Lincoln-Riley play call that's going to make the, all the difference in the world? Well, part of that is based on a defense being on their heels and not knowing whether you're going to run the football on them or pass the football on them. So when, you, when you're able to run the ball, yeah. when you're able to make a defense respect your ability to run the football, all of a sudden you're able to start stretching the field in different ways than when you're just one-dimensional. So... You know, I we give Lincoln Riley a lot of credit for his play calling. Well, his play calling is great because he's put a focus since he's been at Oklahoma on running the football and keeping teams off balance. And so I think that's really important in this game as well. Not just the production from the run game, but making Iowa State respect your ability to run the football and opening things up everywhere else. And and if they're able to do that, obviously, uh, I think that's where Oklahoma's offense is, is clearly at their best. And, and look, Iowa State... I, I said this Bedlam week for Oklahoma State as well, but Iowa State's one of the best tackling teams in the Big 12, right? Oklahoma State was as well. Yeah, they are. Ramondre Stevenson oh, is are. a load. He is a tough guy to bring down, and we obviously saw Oklahoma State struggle in that department with with Ramondre Stevenson in space. So, you know, I, I know that Iowa State every year gets credit for how well they tackle, and they don't they don't necessarily give up a ton of big plays, you know, as far as missed tackles and, and guys... Um, getting yards after contact, but you know, Ramondre Stevenson, completely different animal than than uh, the first time around in this matchup. Yeah, and, and let me let me ask you this: I'm going to somewhat change direction on you, which is really unfair, but I, I'm going to do it anyway <laughs> um, because I think I think it has I think it has to be asked: Is OU's defense better than their offense? They're more consistent. I feel like. I mean, the fact that we're, the fact that we're even asking that question crazy. in some way feels very bizarre a world, but it is 2020. So I guess every I guess everything is, is nothing is off limits at this point. But yeah, I for the first time since 2000, 2000 maybe early 2000s. Yeah. Trying to think of a, a specific year because in 2003 and 2004 uh, they were pretty balanced. I know both sides of the ball were, were equally as good. But this is the first time since, I think, 2000 where I feel comfortable in saying that OU's defense is better than their offense. And that's not to say the offense is bad, but I just feel that the defense is playing at a higher level just because you've, you've got enough guys there that you've got enough playmakers there that you can you can hide you can hide some of your deficiencies. We're on offense. It's a playmaker. Stevenson is sort of a playmaker. Rattler's a playmaker. Other than that, you know, your, your, your warts are showing a little bit more for, for an OU offense, which hasn't happened under Lincoln Riley. Yeah. Um, I think you're uh, just is, offensively, you're just kind of waiting for guys to, you know, have that maybe like light bulb moment, right? Like where the game. Uh, kind of slows down for them and they, they just get that confidence like, okay, I've got this. Because, again, I, I they're loaded with talent offensively. It's it's not like we're looking at this offense saying, man, they just don't have any talent. Like, they have a bunch of talented dudes. It's, it's a, you know, it's a consistency issue. And I think it's just a confidence issue. Like, one of those guys, and like Dio Weiss, for example, or, I mean, name your player, Jaden Hazelwood, when, when he, you know, gets back into the mix consistently. Like, one of those guys has to just be like, I'm that dude, 
and, you know, kind of show that, I think, on the football field every week. But that I, guy I, might be Trajan Bridges. Yeah, maybe. And we yeah. haven't seen him all year. Yeah. Um, which, I I mean, here's, here's another question for that. Are we even going to see him next year? But Trajan Bridges might might be that guy that, that, that OU needs. And he, he, he hasn't been there to, to step up and fill that role. Yeah. Um, I, I, Marvin Mims, I think, will be that guy. He's just, you know, he's not gotten to that point where, again, every week he's just consistent with the overall production. But I, I think, you know, he's, like I said, I, I think he's just going to be an incredible player for Oklahoma over the next few years. And he's he's been, he's had an incredible freshman year. I just don't think he's established himself as a go-to guy yet, uh, which Oklahoma, I think, is searching for. And look, if you talk about the offense, like how many games this year would you look at Oklahoma, even 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 with this, what, six-game winning streak that they're on now, how many of those games would you say you walked away from feeling like the offense was really good? Because I think for the most part, they've had moments in games but again, the, the key word with the offense is inconsistency. Like like the Oklahoma State game, for example, they were great out of the gate, right? Three straight scoring possessions, and, and it kind of felt like the game was right there for the KO. And then the offense like didn't do anything for like two quarters. And even though I think we all felt like the game was over, the, the door was like just cracked enough, you know, because they, they didn't they didn't score that one more time that really felt like the death blow. So I don't know. It's it, inconsistency, I think, is just the big issue with the offense. Like I can't maybe the tech game is the only game where you just felt like they just they consistently yeah, got it done. I, 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 well, I, I was going to say Oklahoma State is kind of a, is kind of that one game, but I felt like that was more. I mean, right or wrong, I felt like that was more on Oklahoma State's defense just cowering in the moment than OU's offense being superb. Yeah. Um, and part of it is, Colby, I mean, one, one thing that you can't make a big deal enough out of is they didn't have any spring. And you had a very weird, a very weird fall before the beginning of the year. And Honestly, where they are now is probably where they would have been at the beginning of the year had everything been normal. Right. And in a, in a lot of respects, you've got to um, you've got to give a lot of credit to Spencer Rattler, a lot of credit because uh, under most circumstances, I don't know if guys would have developed as, as quick as he did. Um, and maybe that's I, and what I don't know, what I'm not smart enough to know as a as a talk show host or as a sports guy is how much of that is natural talent and, and how much of that is him just putting in the time to study film and get to know his receivers. Because the one thing that he really hasn't done, I mean, if we talk about that go-to guy, there's nobody he's really developed chemistry with. And normally that'll happen right. in the spring and early fall and throughout the season, but because it's not normal. He hasn't developed that chemistry, which in a way is good because he, he will spread the ball around. And that's one thing you want him to do. There are times he locks on. Watch him. There are times that he locks on to one place and you know where that ball is going. But for the most part, he does a pretty good job of doing his check downs, looking for the, looking for the open man. I think you give him a, a year, a normal year next year. 
get him working with Trajan Bridges, get him working with them, get him working with some of these other guys, and they'll become a guy. Then he'll literally he'll have that um, he'll he'll have that 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 security blanket that we're looking for, that go to guy. Because part of that go to guy, as much as you want to put it off on the receiver, the quarterback has got to make them the go to guy, mm-hmm. and has got to tell him, look, you're the one. When I need a big play, you are the one that has to make it. When I throw the ball and it's not perfect, you're the one that's going to have to save my ass and grab something when it, when it looks like it's, it, it's thrown a little bit to your right or your left or it's a little bit overthrown. I need you to make that athletic play. And when I put the ball where only you can catch it, you have to come down with it. And he almost has to designate that guy and – I get that for some reason, and it's probably only because he's not playing, I get the feeling that's Trajan Bridges. And maybe it's not. Maybe it's not him. Maybe it is Mims uh, that is that guy. But that's just going to take some time. That's going to take some time and Spencer Rattler and getting to know his receivers a little bit better and spend some time. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, by the way, I said the offense disappeared. That's pro- against Oklahoma State after they're up 21-0. I, that's probably an unfair way to say it. Um, my point was... They were up 21-0, to and then they had six straight possessions. There were a couple field goals mixed in there, but six straight possessions where they didn't score a touchdown. And, you know, again... Give some some credit for the Oklahoma State defense finding themselves. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Come on. My only point, though, was like, again, the level of consistency with the offense, even in this stretch where they've played, you know, the six-game win streak, even in this stretch, um, it's not like the offense for four quarters every week comes out and just, you know, wows you. So, I, I, you know, there's still a lot of talent. There's still a lot of room for them to grow and get better. But, yeah, the defense has been the, the consistent element of this team. And, even you know, I, I, I feel like it started in the Texas game. You know, I know you go back and look at the box score, and the box score says that Texas scores 45 points and ends up with some stupid total yardage that, that – I think is kind of unreal. 428 was their total yardage. I just pulled up the box score. They had like 170 yards in that game, Eric. If, if you remember, they had like 170 yards with seven minutes left in regulation. Like they had been completely dominated for three and a half quarters by the Oklahoma defensive line. Oh, you dominated the line of scrimmage. It wasn't even close. And then for some reason, Oklahoma decides we're going to go into prevent mode. We're going to put three guys on the line of scrimmage. We're going to quit being aggressive. We're going to quit dominating the line of scrimmage. And then Texas ends up scoring a bunch of points in a hurry and forces three overtimes and, or four overtimes. And it becomes the crazy game that it became. But that was, that was the, the game where I felt like you saw Oklahoma like establish themselves on the defensive line as a really good group. And then when Ronnie Perkins reentered the mix, I think they elevated to a great group. That's, that's fair. That's fair. I think I'm I'm a little bit tapping the brakes on great, but because we have not seen a defense this good in so long, <laughs> um, it, it's just it, it, it it's refreshing to say the least yeah. to, to see them be the, to be this aggressive and um they're creating turnovers and they're creating turnovers in 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 the right way. And a lot of me thought for, for so long, it was just so, so tiring to hear Alex French talk about speed B. Still can't stand that. Sorry, OU fans can't stand the Can't stand the cliches, uh, even though I'm full of them myself. Um, but the idea of 
feed D. We need to create turnovers. Well, the way you do that is play good, fundamentally sound defense. You do the things that Iowa State and Oklahoma State were doing, or Iowa State's done through the, through the whole year, Oklahoma State did at the beginning of the year, which is just good, solid tackle. You hit people. You force the ball to move from someone's hands. I mean, the idea of stripping it sounds great. And we see guys do it in the NFL, and we see guys do it all over college football, but sometimes a good lick can separate the ball better than somebody sticking their hand in there. And you weren't seeing OU do that. You're seeing them do that now. Um, I love about Alex French was that he was just talking about speedy and need to create turnovers. Like, just tell me you need to be fundamentally sound. Just, just, just tell me you need to tackle and, and be more physical. But OU has figured out a way to do that. And I'm going to give some credit to Lincoln Riley because there's somehow he is setting them up in practice to get that way. I have for way too long that if you ran an offense like Lincoln Riley's, it made your defense finesse. And I still think it does. But if you can figure out a way to make that defense physical in practice and you can be less finesse on offense, it benefits both. And I'd say OU's been less finesse on offense this year because of Ramondre Stevenson. Um, but, you know, there's still those elements in the spread in there that they're just going to be what they're going to be. But I, I think because we haven't seen a defense, you know, be this fundamentally sound in so long, it's just it, it's it's easy to give maybe Alex Grinch more credit than he deserves. I mean, and that sounds bad, but I think that it's just it's it's been a long time coming for OU fans, and I give a lot of credit to the players. As good as the coaches are, it's still about the Johnnies and the Joes, and, and OU has finally got some some sound defensive players on that team or enough of them to make the, make, um, make plays. Yeah. I, I mean, regardless of, of how anybody feels about the defense and how good they are this year, it's undeniable that they are 10 times as good as they were two years ago. So, you know, it's obviously there's been a tremendous amount of growth. I'll say this, the front four is so good that I, I'm still not sold necessarily on the back seven and how good that group is or how improved that group is. And if, if Iowa state is, able to prevent OU's defensive line from dominating, I still think you can take advantage of the Oklahoma secondary as well. So uh, that, that to me, is is part of the, the interesting thing that's at play here. We talk about the defense in general. Well, it all looks better because Oklahoma is so good on the, on the defensive line that the job of everybody else is so much easier. But if that group's not <laughs> winning, you know, I don't know. I, I, I Ultimately, I just don't know that they're, they're significantly better on the back end of the defense. But... Um, Let's, let's switch no, gears before we get not. out of here. Probably not, yeah. Okay. I agree, I agree. Uh, let's switch gears before we get out of here. Uh, college football playoff. Oklahoma's number 10. You look at what's ahead of them. Obviously, this is the final week. Give me your give me your number four team in this scenario. Alabama beats Florida. Notre Dame beats Clemson for a second time. Ohio State beats Northwestern for the Big Ten Championship. Oklahoma beats Iowa State. Is Oklahoma in? Check State in. Texas a You think so? Yeah. A um, couple of reasons. Um, and I know you fans are going to like it, but, but the, the, the truth is the truth, and let's just expose the truth here. Um, I don't care what anyone says. I think the committee loves the SEC more than they do any other conference, and I think they are just susceptible to the rhetoric and the propaganda. Boy, now I sound political. Uh, the, rhetoric, the rhetoric and the propaganda of ESPN 
and the SEC Network. And I think because A&M's own losses to Alabama, I think that committee would love to see two SEC teams in 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 that in the playoff. I part of OU's problem, and my co-host would would disagree. Pat Jones would disagree with me on that. I think part of OU's problem is their their performance that precedes this year is reason enough for the for the committee to go. Ah. Eh, you know, we, we've given them three shots. They have yet to make it out of the semifinals. And two of those times, you know, they, they got buried by Alabama. They got buried by LSU. You know, they've been in it four times. They got hammered by Clemson. They were only good against Georgia. Eh, let's, let's give somebody else a try. I honestly believe that discussion happened. So I, I think A&M is, is your fourth team. But don't sleep on USC because even though it seems like the Pac-12 is out of it, USC goes undefeated. Clemson loses twice. You've got a chance to get a name brand in there in USC. And, and I think the committee, I mean, hell, if you've listened to them talk, they find every excuse to, to put a two-loss Iowa State team who lost to Louisiana. Louisiana. They lost to Louisiana. They find every reason to put that team ahead of an undefeated Cincinnati team. So, I, one, I don't think you can trust what the committee says. I think they make it up as they go, and I think there's an. I think there will always be an SEC bias until we see the SEC kind of fall on its face for about three or four years in these situations, meaning not get out of the semifinals. We see Alabama take a step back. I think they'll always be that bias, and I think they'll always want name brands. And I think a two-loss OU takes some of the pressure off their shoulder because I believe there is OU fatigue on that committee, whether they'll admit it or not. I think there is too, but I disagree with you in the fact that I think there's not a better argument to like to to make that come into play. I guess for me, like I look at what could happen here. And I agree. I think if all things are even, they would they would probably that the the whole OU failed playoff experiment would come into play. But if you're comparing, like you mentioned USC for example, USC's five and zero. They're currently number thirteen in the playoff ranking. Oklahoma is three spots ahead of them right now. And if both teams win this weekend, they're both conference champions. But Oklahoma will have beaten the committee's number six team while also still three spots ahead of USC, USC is playing an unranked opponent for the committee. So I, I like, I don't think there's any way USC could jump Oklahoma realistically in that thing. And then the A&M point is interesting because I, I do agree again that they, they like the SEC. The problem is A&M played Alabama. Alabama completely dominated them. Like it, it wasn't even close. Did you watch that game by any chance? Uh, yeah, I did. It was an ass kick. I, I, I watched. Yeah, like I, I don't, I don't think you could even justify putting A and M in the number four spot to play Alabama a second time as a non-conference champion. So, and and if you've watched, I don't know if you've seen any of of their games down the stretch, but they've not looked good. I mean, I, I, I think for their sake, they really need to dominate Tennessee on Saturday to to even put themselves in play. Um, as far as as you know, a spot opening up. Now, 
I also think Clemson's going to beat Notre Dame, and I think the four that are currently slotted are the four that are going to be there on Sunday night when we get this thing all wrapped up. But if a spot opens, I, I honestly believe Oklahoma on a seven-game win streak beating the committee's number six team for a conference title, avenging one of their two losses, and adding into account a freshman quarterback is now mature versus making his first two FBS starts and getting your best player back offensively, best player back defensively. I think when you take all of those things into account, despite maybe the SEC bias that's there and despite the fact that there might be some OU fatigue, I think all of those elements outweigh both of the things we just talked about. I hope you're right. I really do. I'd like to see OU. I'd like to see OU get in this year because I honestly feel this is the best chance they have to move on. Now, here's my question. And what I thought of, I thought the better chance for OU to get in was to have Northwestern beat Ohio State. And one, I, I don't think that's going to happen, but look, we see strange. Yeah. It's sports. It's 2020. Strange things happen. But if Northwestern wins, is the Big Ten comfortable putting Northwestern into the college football playoff? Yeah, they're the Big Ten champs. Yeah, they beat Ohio State. They also lost to Michigan State. And, and, and really, honestly, Northwestern should be undefeated right now. They have no business losing to Michigan State. Yeah. Michigan State's not good at all. Yeah. Would the committee rather have OU in than Northwestern? And I think they would. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's just my bias there, but, but but I think if you're discussing the OU resume versus the Northwestern resume, OU definitely looks better than Northwestern. What I'm having an issue with with A&M is I just feel like there's, a, there's an SEC bias. And even though A&M hasn't looked good, it's just they're the SEC. And right now, everybody is still in love with that league. And, and part of me would kind of like to see A&M get in and get absolutely drilled in, in that, in that semifinal, just get hammered. Yeah. Which because they would. Then it takes, which it takes them to shine out. Because if you look at the SEC this year, they Florida was good, but they lost to a bad LSU team. LSU. I mean, at best they're going to finish 500 this year. Your two best teams probably are Alabama and Texas A&M. But how good is that? I don't think the the SEC this year isn't nearly as good as it's been in in the past. Um, I think you could make an argument. Like, I don't know how good the Big 12 is, but I don't think you've got a conference from top to bottom this year that I would say is, oh, that conference is just so outstanding and deep. I think you've got a handful of teams this year that are, that are really good to pretty good. But there's no one conference where it's like, you go one through five and go, well, yeah, all five of these teams from this conference could be all five of these teams from this conference. That doesn't exist. Right. That does not exist this year. And I don't know if the committee understands that. I like to think that they're smarter than me. Most of them have more education than me. Most of them are in better positions than I'll ever be in in my life. But I'm not sure they understand it. And and, and when Barta talks, it it just feels like it. All right, here are the four teams we want in. Now you go say this to make it to make it sound like we're, it, it's all coherent and good. I mean, it's 
it's worse than politicians right now, um, which is really sad. Um, but there's just uh, OU fatigue and SEC bias, I think, hurts them in the end. I hope it doesn't. And yeah, it, I, I think part of me, Coley, would like to see OU go to a New Year's Six Day, New Year's Six Bowl, win really big, and watch AM just get destroyed by Notre Dame. <laughs> well, they wouldn't get Notre Dame. I, 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 A&M, I, I don't... Would they? There's no yeah, way you they, could jump. Would they get Alabama yeah, they get Alabama they again. Get that's, Alabama again. That's that's part of why that's I think no there's an fun. argument against them. Yeah, that's like no fun. that's that's part of what the roadblock is for A and M getting into that scenario. I agree with you about the SEC. I still think they're the best conference in college football, but I think especially this year that gap has shrunk versus where it's been in the past. Because I think there have been years where. It's just by by such a large margin, that's the best conference. It's not even funny, but I think that margin has shrunk this year. Obviously, teams like Florida and Georgia have shown tremendous warts. I think even A&M has shown warts. Um, All that said, like Florida being in the position they were in, I think made it really hard for the the committee to do anything crazy with A&M because A&M beat Florida. Like it's almost like the resume kind of prevented maybe the the committee from being able to evaluate A&M from a football standpoint the way that they were evaluating everybody else. And I think with Florida losing to LSU, their best win now doesn't doesn't look nearly as good. And if you're talking about a rematch with Alabama, a game that, that the Crimson Tide completely dominated as a rematch, um, I, 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 I think that, that OU would get the benefit there, despite the SEC bias, despite maybe the OU fatigue. I just think in that room, the argument for Oklahoma over A&M is so overwhelming that those two things don't come into play. I agree with you. Now, one thing, I mean, you said A&M would get Alabama. Right now, you're right. But if Notre Dame beats Clemson, this time with Trevor Lawrence, and you've got two wins over Clemson, I could see Notre Dame moving ahead of Alabama, especially if that Florida-Alabama game was tight. And Alabama had to win it in the last five minutes. I, I, I can I can see Notre Dame being the number one seed in the end. That that has a legit that has a legitimate shot of happening. Because it'd be hard for me to argue it's like, well, okay, they beat Clemson when they were limping, but they beat Clemson on a new they beat Clemson when they were limping on their own home field. Well, then they beat Clemson at a neutral site. You know, those are the two best wins this year in college football. Yeah, I'd have to make Notre Dame the number one seed. I've got them as the number one seed right now based off that win over Clemson. So I don't think that's out of the question. And then, yes, at that point, if Notre Dame's the number one seed, slide A&M in there by all means and just let them tell me that. I, 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 I can't see it. I can't see Notre Dame jump in Alabama. I think it would take Notre Dame just completely dominating Clemson, and I think it would take a very bad performance from Alabama, a really ugly performance. And even then, I don't know. Because, you like, the thing about Alabama is every week they win by a landslide. Like, they, they don't have any close games. Yeah. I mean, they, they've dominated. You know, what? The committee loves Georgia, right? Like, Georgia's a top-10 team. Alabama completely dominated Georgia. The committee has A&M as the fifth best team in the country. Alabama completely dominated A&M. You know, like now, Auburn is another team that the, they just, like, yeah. every single week, 
Alabama makes all these teams that the committee has liked for the majority of the season look terrible. I, I just, I don't see any way if Alabama beats Florida that, that they are jumped. Now, we haven't taken into consideration, what if Alabama loses? What if it's just a bad day for them? <laughs> they come out and just have a, just, just have a bad day. Um, Florida in? I think so. Al- Alabama would still be in, I believe. Yeah, I do too. And I totally agree with I that. I would have said before Tuesday night that Florida was had probably eliminated themselves, but I think with the committee only dropping them to, what, eight? Seven? Yeah. I mean, they, they barely dropped. I, I think basically the committee set themselves up to say that if, if Florida beats the number one team in the country and is a conference champion, they're going to get in. If they had dropped down to like maybe 10 or below, then I would have thought there was zero chance. But, I mean, that was a that was a bad loss. LSU's been terrible all year long. And, and for them to get the benefit of the doubt and only dropped to number seven, one spot, that that basically told me that Florida still controls its own destiny. I I would agree with that. The other thing that, that we, we both kind of agree on, you didn't come out and say it, is I don't think there's anything Alabama can do to not be in it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, one, I, I don't think Florida's going to blow them out, but let's just say Florida won pretty decisively. I still think Alabama gets in, and you're probably right. At that point, you've got Florida, Alabama, Notre Dame, Ohio State. Those are your four teams. Uh, what I if, mean, what I if Clemson think, beats Notre Dame, though? Now we now we get interesting. <laughs> now it gets real interesting, which is what which is what I'm kind of hoping for, which would make Sunday so much fun is to see Florida beat Alabama, Clemson beat Notre Dame, and, and Ohio State win by like fifty. Yeah, because what I want to hear from the committee is if they decide to leave Notre Dame out, I want to hear the committee come in. I basically want to hear the committee come in and say. They didn't really respect that win that Notre Dame had over Clemson because Clemson wasn't at full strength. Right. And we obviously saw that when Clemson was at full strength, they were heads and shoulders above Notre Dame. So that's why Clemson is in and Notre Dame is not, plus Clemson is conference champion. And truthfully, I mean, this is, this is me being very diabolical. I'd love for them to play up the whole conference championship thing is why they kept Notre Dame out. Yeah. And essentially send the message to Notre Dame but if you want any chance, any chance of participating in this on a regular basis, you have to join a conference. That, I, I don't know what I want more. a and <laughs> get bludgeoned by Notre Dame, which is not going to happen, or to see Notre Dame get absolutely screwed. Because that would, that would also make me very happy. Because I can't stand the fact that these guys aren't in a conference and kind of get to, to, to make their own rules. It's it, it's time. It's time that Notre Dame joined the Power Five, and it's also time that the Power Five broke away from the NCAA. Um, those things need to those things need to happen here within, within the next year. But yeah, watching Notre Dame get screwed—that'd be a lot of fun. I mean, I don't know how you could be a grow up an OU fan and not want Notre Dame to get screwed. That'd be great. God, that would be so awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's the only scenario where I don't really feel like I have a good 
grasp of the way the committee would handle that. So that would be really interesting to see it. And that's Florida beating Alabama, yeah. Clemson beating Notre Dame, and Ohio State obviously remaining undefeated as a Big Ten champ and, and with a dominant performance to give them a little momentum. Uh, that that would be that'd be pretty interesting. I mean, because if you ask me as far as those teams, those five teams, who the best four are, I think I would leave Florida out. I think I, I would say Florida is the one that, that I don't feel like is as good as the others, but they would have just beaten the number one team in the country, Alabama, and in the committee's favorite conference, they would be the champion. So uh, you're kind of in a, in a bad spot there. So I don't, I don't know, man. It would be, that would be a lot of fun to see the way they not only ranked that, but um, I, I think explained it. Well, I mean, you could. I probably won't, but you could leave both Alabama and Florida out and say, okay, well, Clemson and Notre Dame split, so we're going to leave both of them in. We're going to put Ohio State in and put Oklahoma in as the as the other team. I doubt that would happen because, like, you know, we we both agreed. That I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you the conference. percentage chance that that would happen. You ready? <laughs> Zero point zero percent. Oh, I thought it'd be less than that. That's gonna be like <laughs> negative one hundred. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're gonna put in. I think we should just just. I think every year when you're filling out your playoff bracket at the beginning of the the year, just put SEC. It just put SEC in there somewhere, right? Yeah. Whether it's champ or not, they're gonna put an SEC team in. That's, yeah. Just the way it goes. Here's the here's the question: Do we do we have a COVID runner up playoff team? Like, for example, let's just say we get the final four of Alabama, Notre Dame, Clemson, Ohio State, and then like the week of the Alabama Ohio State semifinal, Ohio State has three fourths of their team test positive for COVID. Do we have a number five slot that is on standby to potentially take that game? No, I think you make Oklahoma that team if they win, or Iowa State that team if they win. Yeah, but I, I, truthfully, what probably happens is even though they, you know, Bill Hancock has said that they are committed to doing all this on schedule, I would have to think they would put they would push things back. They, they, they would push that particular game back a week or whatever they needed to to get it played and with two teams. Participate and be at full strength simply to, oh, here's write this one down to preserve the integrity of the sport. (laughs) Um, which I'm not real sure college football is always interested in doing, but whatever, right? right. It sounds Um, good though, yeah. Well, to preserve the integrity of the sport, we're gonna let we're gonna try and let Ohio State get healthy. And honestly, and this is something that you know, Pat has said. And I kind of agree with him on this. In, in a situation like that, how many of those results are getting reported? You know, are the universities really going to tell us the truth if yeah. they're having an outbreak, or if right. you've got if you've got a position group like your offensive line group is, is dealing with some contract contact tracing issues? Are you really going to tell us the truth? Or are you just going to let him go out there and play this and is, take that risk because... This is Justin Turner on the field after the World Series, right? Yes. Yeah. Are you just going to let him go out there and play because, hey, they're young. 
you know, this, this age group doesn't seem to be as, you know, suffering from it the way, you know, people our age would. Um, and, and so why not let them go play? I mean, you got, got to win a national championship. Everybody's got to make sacrifices. That wouldn't shock me at all. If, if something like that happens, uh, we'll just say, for example, Alabama, where there's four or five guys that popped up where they were having con- contact tracing issues. But they went ahead and played. They won the national championship. And then six months later, a year later, ESPN, you know, Jeremy Schaap is <laughs> report on ESPN and then bam, Alabama, you know, exposed yeah. Yeah. and you know, just how the people that they put at risk and Alabama, you know, Alabama falls under scrutiny, but, you know, they're hanging another national championship banner so they don't care. I mean, I can see that happening pretty easily. Yeah, no doubt, <laughs> yeah. man, no doubt. Well, dude, Saturday is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, What's your, by the way, before I let you go, what's your uh, score prediction for OU Iowa State? I think it's a, is it still five and a half spread? Yeah, and I'll take, I'm going to take OU by 10. I will take OU uh, a little more than 10. I'll say OU 28, Iowa State 17. You're going to give OU defense some credit. But the game, the game that might be the most fun to watch might be that AAC championship game between Tulsa and Cincinnati. If Tulsa keeps oh, winning yeah. games in the fashion they win, which is to just hang around, hang around, hang around, and then in the fourth quarter explode with a few big plays. And just when you think Tulsa's out of it, they just magically win these games. So if you haven't watched Tulsa play all year, there really isn't a better television product out there. <laughs> Period. Saturday's, yeah, a, Saturday's a great TV. day. I, like the schedule Saturday's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just hope we don't. What I don't want on Saturday is I want at least a few. I want at least three or four close games. I want I want something to keep me engaged. I don't want to turn on a lot of games and it just kind of yeah plot along. You know, plot along with a, with a bunch of blowouts. Um, so if OU doesn't win by ten, I'd actually be happy. I'd love to see a close game between them and Iowa State, where everybody is. Everybody's sitting on the edge of their seat because that's what will make this so much fun, and that's what I'm hoping for. Well, I think OU Iowa State's going to be a competitive game. Um, you know, maybe maybe the score ends up being the Sooners by ten or, or thirteen or something like that. But I think it's going to be a competitive game for four quarters. Uh, same thing for Notre Dame, uh, Clemson. I think it's a competitive game. Yep. Again, sometimes I think you know scores can get away at the end, and and it's not reflective of how good the game was or how competitive the game was, but. I think OU Iowa State is going to be competitive. I think uh, Notre Dame Clemson is going to be competitive. That's the afternoon game, and then at night. Although I think Alabama is just going to completely pound Florida. Uh, you still have Tulsa Cincinnati as one of your primetime games, and that should be a fantastic one. So, yeah, I I think you've got. I think there's enough good matchups there. I just I, here's the thing: I want all these players to keep in mind, especially after what we saw happen on Monday night. There are people betting on you, literally betting on you, okay, and betting on the other team. Let's not have any bad beats. Let's not screw the game. Yeah, let's not Cleveland right? Browns this thing, guys. Come on. <laughs> I mean, look when, when, look, when you're down, look, you got to think, man, there's people's livelihoods at stake here. Yeah. You know, when, you, when you're about to get that safety, let's, come on, have a little heart here. Brown, what are you thinking? 
Oh, great stuff as always, my selfish, friend. Selfish athletes. They're, they're selfish, Colby. They don't care about That was just the football gods punishing anybody that had the balls to bet on the Browns. <laughs> they're like, oh, yeah? Yeah, decades of misery, and you're going to put your money on the Browns? We'll show you. <laughs> football gods exist, man. Proof. No bad beats. No bad, no bad beats <laughs> on Saturday. That's what we're worried hey man enjoy the weekend always appreciate you joining me and we'll catch up again next week thanks colby good good time to you looking forward to it eric g joining me on the colby daniels podcast that is it for this episode of the colby daniels podcast presented by artisan botanicals in midwest city check out their line of natural medicine products you can visit the website abotanicalcompany.com or give them a call 405-458-9699. Educate yourself on what they have available and how it can benefit your daily life. Uh, also want to let you know, we have a new promo code, Colby Show, C-O-L-B-Y-S-H-O-W. Order online, abotanicalcompany.com, and use that code, Colby Show, when you check out and you get 15% off your order. Really excited about this. Really excited that Artisan Botanicals is uh, giving us the opportunity to save you money and help you out at the same time. So check out the website again, abotanicalcompany.com. Use the code Colby Show with your online order and you get 15% off. So um, again, 9 a.m. pregame show on Saturday. Mike Steely and I have pregame coverage. I'll tweet the link at Colby underscore Daniels. So look for that Saturday morning. Everybody have a great day. Stay safe. And I will talk to you tomorrow. Podcast is over.